Pastor Justin, and um, I will be bringing the word this morning, and I'm just going to confess to you, this has been a tough week. Uh, I was not super extra busy, or any busier than I am, um, but this week, preparing this sermon has been um, eye-opening, preaching about false prophets and hoping you're not one, <laughs> and being scared that, that you may say something that uh, offends or that may be hard to hear, uh, is difficult, but then realizing that there is so much packed into these few verses and that you've got to shorten it into a time frame that is um, amenable for everyone is tough. So if you get tempted to look at your watch later, just remember I have cut some of this stuff out, so it could be longer. Uh, Eric would be the only one that would be okay with me preaching for a few hours, so I'm going to shorten it, but We're going to try to speed through this. We are continuing through Matthew, through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is winding down this greatest sermon that has ever been preached. He is landing the plane, as we like to call it in in preacher world. Uh, We are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. He's going to give us a warning here. And again, he is landing the plane. He is coming in uh, for his final thoughts. And he is saying, in light of all you have just heard, In light of everything I have just told you, be on alert. Don't get comfortable. Don't be deceived by yourself or by anyone. But again, as we have pointed out throughout this whole sermon, Jesus is perfect in his transitions of when he places things in the sermon. Everything leads into and flows into one another perfectly and seamlessly. And this is another perfect example of that. There's a reason that this verse follows what we have just talked about last week. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I have loved going through this series because I've read the Sermon on the Mount, I I don't know how many dozens, if not hundreds of times in my life. And every time you read it, something new does stand out. Every time you read it, you think, man, Jesus was really speaking in that time, and timelessly he is speaking to us even now. But going through this series hearing it preached, preaching a few of them, and really having to study and to really look into the context and to look into what Jesus was really saying and all of the levels that he is saying them at, it has really opened my eyes that, to some things that re- just reading it I may have missed or I may overlook or I may just read the words and say, yeah, Jesus said that, of course. It, it has really been eye-opening for me. And I think we need to kind of, we're not going to recap the whole thing because, again, that would take all day, but... I think we do need to look kind of where, where we've been to lead to this warning that Jesus gives us today. And I, I love that his sermon started with grace. It didn't start with commands. He didn't get set out with commands or instructions or warnings or exhortations. He, he started with grace. We went through the Beatitudes, right? We went through the, the blessings that you receive by being in Christ. I loved going through those, but it reiterates once again that God does not bless those who earn it or who are worthy of it. He blesses those that he chooses to bless, that he has given these attributes to. We cannot be peacemakers. We cannot be meek. We cannot be poor in spirit and so on and so forth on our own. We can't wake up one day and go, I'm going to be meek today. That is an attribute that God will give us, and then we are approved in his blessing because of that. He approves us based on the very things that he instills and gives to us. It says, blessed are you, over and over in the Beatitudes, right? We talked about how that can mean blessed, 
or approved. You are approved in Christ because of these things. But you are blessed or approved when these things are true about you. And I am the one making them true about you. It's a beautiful picture of how it is not the reverse. It is not you wake up one day and you do all of these things and then God will bless you because you've earned it or because you are, are worthy of it. He says, I'm going to show you my grace this way and this is how you will know it is from me. And thank God it is in that order because I'd still be waiting for all of those things because I would have never made it to the list and no offense, neither would any of you. If it wasn't God moving in our lives, we would have never received the approval or the blessings. Then, after he preaches grace, then he moves on to the commands. He says, okay, now that I have changed you and brought you to life, you should live differently. You should look differently than the world. And ways you can do that are following these commands this way. This is how you will differentiate yourself. This is how you will show my glory forth the most, is by looking countercultural and different from the world out of gratitude for what I have just told you that I have done in your life to show my glory forth live this way your life should most definitely look differently than your former life but it should absolutely also look differently than the world and the people around you so Jesus goes into the anger lust all of those things the the commands of the Sermon on the Mount and I've heard people say, I have even said many times, that Jesus came here and was raising the bar, right? He was raising the standard. You have heard it said, don't kill. But I say, don't even have malice in your heart towards someone, because that is the same. You have, said, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even have lust in your heart towards a woman. It is the same thing. And a lot of people explain that, that Jesus was coming in and raising the standard for what it meant to follow him. After seeing all of this sermon play out I'm not sure that I think that's what was happening I think Jesus was simply revealing to them how it should have been from the beginning he's not raising the standard he's just making them aware that this has always been the standard I'm not changing the law this is how you should have been viewing the law anyway he was exposing that it's not the law that is inadequate it is your view of the law that is inadequate because you're viewing it as a rigid form of rules you're twisting it to say a few things that you want it to say you're, you're towing the line, as it were, and you're doing the absolute bare minimum to keep it, to uphold it. It says, don't kill someone. That means I can beat them all the way to the point of death and I'm okay, right? That means I can't commit adultery. I can do everything else up until that point as long as I abstain from that, right? And Jesus is saying, it's not about the bare minimum here. It's not about doing just enough to say, yes, I've upheld the law. Jesus is telling them that he wants and deserves so much more. So it's not that he was raising the standard, but just making them aware that they aren't meeting the standard that was already in place. And he, is, he has done all of these things. He has changed your life, and he is, he is deserving of you following him in this way. He's saying, I have literally done everything for you so that you can now live counterculturally in order to show my glory forth, not your own. This, this is the lead, again, he perfectly flows. So it's not about your own glory. It is about my glory. So now it is more important why you are doing things than just what you are doing. 
So sure, you can give to the needy, but why are you giving to the needy? Sure, you can pray and fast and do all of these things, but what are your intentions, your motives? What is your heart really doing in these things? Or are you just going through the motions because it says so in the law? So he makes it very, very clear that intentions do matter. Our hearts matter more than our actions. Even if we are doing all of these godly things, praying and fasting, if we are doing them for our own glory, for our own credit, so people will look at us in a certain way, we are doing them for the wrong reasons. And Jesus basically says you might as well not even do them because you're just doing them for yourself. But he has revealed that it makes he makes it clear that you can either act like a believer or you can actually be a believer. There are two categories. You're either a believer or you're not. If you are simply acting like one, then you might as well not be acting like one because you're not one. So there's no point in pretending to be something that you're not. The two categories are believer and non. You can either be it or you can act like it, and a lot of people will probably be tricked into thinking that you are but he is not tricked. God is not tricked. Jesus is not tricked. And he illustrates this, as we saw last week, by constantly comparing two things. He compares and contrasts two things many times in, the, in this sermon. We won't go through all of them, but most recently last week it was, what, two gates, right? There's the narrow gate and the wide gate. You can either go through the narrow gate, follow the narrow path. There's two gates, two ways, two destinations. That's it. There's no gray area, there's no middle ground, there's no, well, hopefully I can kind of dabble in both. It's, you go through the narrow gate, that leads to a narrow path, you lead that life, and that leads to life. You go through the wide gate, you follow the wide path, that leads to destruction. Two gates, two ways, two paths, two destinations. So last week we were encouraged to examine ourselves to ensure that we had truly entered the narrow gate which we learned, of course, is Jesus. He is the gate. He is the leader of that path. He is the ultimate destination. He is all of those things wrapped into one. But we were, we were encouraged to examine whether we were truly following that narrow path, whether we were leading our lives towards life or towards destruction because you're either going towards one or towards the other. So basically, we left here all wondering if we were really Christians or not. <laughs> or maybe that was just me, but... We were encouraged to examine that, to really say, okay, am I really doing this? Am I really following, or am I going through the motions like the people Jesus was talking to? Well, today is turnabout is fair play, so you get to leave here wondering if your pastors are truly Christians or not, because that's what we're talking about today. So I get a double dose. I got to hear it last week as a, just a hearer, and now I get to preach it and wonder if I'm in either of those categories. But after all of this... I hope all of you came to the conclusion that you are Christians. If not, please come talk to us about it, just like we encouraged last week. Um, and I hope as you leave here today, you think, yeah, pastors are too. But we'll get to that. But I know this is a long intro to get just to the scripture we're at today. But Jesus follows all of that. So grace, blessings, commands, live this way then make sure you're following the actual path that I'm saying, the narrow path. And then he gives us, like any good father would, now that you are traversing this new life, now that you are living this new way that I have, that I have commanded you and that I have empowered you to do, he warns us of things to look out for, pitfalls to look out for. The next three weeks are kind of warnings. Today is a blatant warning, but if you read 
in depth the next couple of weeks. It's also the same thing. Make sure, ensure that you are following me fully with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, all of those things. So, if you would, after that long intro, stand with me and out of reverence for God's word, we're going to read the passage we're actually going through. It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. All right, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the freedom we have to gather in your name this morning. And I pray that everything that is done here from beginning to end will be geared towards magnifying your name and glorifying who you are and not anyone else in this room. So thank you for gathering with us. Thank you for being here. I pray that as we go through this scripture that, that you would be here with the hearers and with the speaker, that you would move me out of your way, that it would not be my opinions or my thoughts or anything that, that I want to say on my own, but that you would, if, if I'm to say anything that is untrue, unbiblical, or in any way not glorifying to you today, I pray you keep me from that. I pray you stop me from saying those words. And I thank you that your word is sufficient enough in and of itself, that your, that your word is true and infallible, and that we can look into it for years and years to come and never plumb the depths. And I pray that as we try to, do, to look at, at a small portion of it today, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you are truly trying to say in this place. We love you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, so we see here a pretty blatant warning, right? Beware of false prophets. Now, <laughs> I hesitate to say this. There's really no interpretation that needs to be done there. Now, I'm say that, and then I'm going to preach for the next 40 minutes about what that means. But beware of false prophets. It, there's no gray area of maybe false prophets are okay. Maybe he just, you know, he's... He's not so harsh. No, beware of false prophets. And then he calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. This is pretty blatant. It is pretty blunt. So what does he mean? So first off, I think we need to define what we mean by prophet. If you were like me, you read that word, and the only thing that may come to mind is a TV show that's spelled differently that we won't point any names but have been on that show. That's the only... We don't think of prophets floating around anymore, right? We don't think of prophets telling the future because that's kind of what we go to when we think of prophets right however prophet defined is simply a proclaimer of the will of God or a person chosen to speak for God so in that case today I am a prophet now this does not mean that I am perfect this doesn't mean I am elevated this doesn't mean anything but I am here speaking on behalf of God telling you hopefully what this passage says speaking his words to you so that you may be pointed back towards Jesus, towards worshiping Jesus. This does not make me infallible. This doesn't mean that I won't say something that's untrue today. Hopefully I won't. I pray every week that I preach that I will not do that. But it does not make me perfect. It doesn't make anyone who is proclaiming 
the will of God or a person to speak for God perfect or sinless or that they won't slip up and say things that they shouldn't say. It simply means that we are pointing people back to God. We are proclaiming His glory. We are proclaiming His words. Moses is probably the most famous prophet if everyone was to name, name one. And there's plenty of sins and misgivings in Scripture of what he was doing. It does not make anyone infallible. However, the office of prophet is no laughing matter. It should not be taken lightly. It is not something that you can just, oh, I'm speaking for God, and just say whatever you want to do. In the Old Testament, you definitely didn't want to do that. In the Old Testament, if a prophet tells of a vision that is from God, and that vision does not come true, the people have permission to kill him, to stone him. In Ezekiel 13.9, it says, My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. Jeremiah 29.21, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaloiah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name, Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. You do not want to say, I am speaking for God, if you are not speaking for God. This is pretty strong language. It makes it very clear that God is very passionate and very protective of his name and of his glory. Because that's what these people were doing. They were besmirching his glory by saying things about him that were not true. So people claiming to speak for God are dealt with pretty harshly. God takes this very, very seriously. Now another thing to consider that is a prophet is not always a future teller or a fortune teller or a psychic or any of those things. Meteorologists are not prophets for more reasons than one, but they are not considered prophets. They are, they are telling the weather. They are not pointing us back to God. But prophet back then would not have been interpreted any other way by these people. They knew exactly what you meant when you said the word prophet. I am, a, like I said, a, the prophet today or a prophet today speaking God's words to you. But I'm telling you nothing of the future. I'm not telling you, okay, tomorrow, next July 4th this will happen or any of those things. I am simply pointing you to Jesus today and therefore that is what qualifies me as prophet today the easiest way for us to interpret this now would be false teachers right so instead of saying false prophets there's a reason it's in scripture this way because then in that context they would have taken it no other way they would have known exactly what a false prophet was those these people would have known they would not have needed a definition or an explanation they would have known what false prophet or prophet period meant even today we say false teachers will do you mean school teachers? Do you mean college professors? Do you mean teachers of the law? Do you mean teachers of this? So even still, we have a, a, an incomplete uh, vision of what these people are seeing. But the best way of understanding this is false teachers. People, people that will come to you and say, I'm speaking on behalf of God and not speaking on behalf of God. So we must beware of false teachers who are telling us false things about God and leading us to believe things that are not true. Now, we, along with that idea, there are a few assumptions we can make based on just this first line alone. So the first one is there is a such thing as false prophets. I know that seems obvious, but that's what leads us to the second assumption of there is truth. There is real truth. For someone to be a false prophet, we must have something to compare them to that is true or we cannot label someone false. Because what are they falsifying? 
Okay, so there is definitely truth out there, and we will know whether someone is false or not based upon that truth. And then the third assumption is that these false prophets are coming. These false teachers are coming. Jesus is not in the business of warning us of possibilities that may or may not happen. Okay, he's telling us that this is going to happen. These people are going to come, and they are going to tell you things that are not true. And if you have no idea whether it's true or not, you are going to fall victim to it. Matthew 24, 11, Jesus says, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 24, 24 in Matthew. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. There will be false teachers. That is true then. That is true now. There are going to be people that speak things. They're going to say things and, and tie them up in pretty bows about Jesus. They're going to say, say a lot of things you do agree with. But they are going to be false teachers. They will be coming to lead you down the wide path, all the while assuring you that you're on the narrow path. That is a very dangerous place to be. And we must be aware. We must be alert. So if we can safely assume that there is truth, we can safely assume that there are false prophets and they will show up about it, show up and tell us Jesus is warning us about them. He is telling us you've got to be aware. You've got to be grounded in something that is unchanging and that is true or you're going to be duped into believing almost anything. So many of us in here, when we think of false prophets or false teachers, we may think of other religions, right? We may think of Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. We may think of angry atheists like Bill Maher on TV, that he's a false teacher. He's trying to teach people that aren't true or, 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 like I said, other religions that are trying to sway us from Christianity to something. And the thing is, Jesus is not talking about those people. Now, should we still be aware of those and alert? Absolutely. We don't want to fall victim to those either. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about a whole separate group of people. It says here that beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. So they're trying to disguise themselves to be something that they're not. The angry atheists don't hide, right? The Muslims and the, the Buddhists, they, they are proud of their religion. They, they aren't trying to disguise themselves as something that they're not. They are saying this is who we are. Now they may try to sway you away from Christianity to their version of the truth, but you know that going in because they're telling you hey, I'm an atheist, this is what I believe, or I'm a Buddhist, this is what I believe, you should believe this way instead. They're not trying to hide. Jesus is warning us here about people that are trying to disguise themselves. Jesus is warning us here about men and women who are claiming to be Christian, who are look the part, they look just like us. If they come here, they wear short sleeve shirts, or they, they, you know, they don't dress up too much because they don't want to stand out, so they, they kind of dress down, but not quite so far down that they stand out either. If you go to First Baptist, these false teachers may look like people in suits and ties because that's what they were. They look the part. They don't stand out. There's nothing glaringly wrong about them. They are disguising themselves. They say a lot of right things. There's nothing glaring about them that just immediately goes, oh, you must be a false prophet. I think a lot of times we think the false prophets or the sheep's and wolf clothing look like this. So the, there's a picture, I think. So we think this is what they, we think they're going to be so obvious that they're just a wolf carrying a sheep hoping to blend in, right? Oh, we'll recognize them. We don't have to really know what we're talking about. Side note, that's not Wally Cody. Did anybody else think that that was all their life? 
Nobody? Everybody? Okay, that's Bob the Wolf, in case anybody cares. I learned something this week, and now you're welcome. The more you know. Bob the Wolf, the only difference, he has a red nose. Wiley Cody has a brown nose. That's it. Anyway, but most of the time, false teachers actually look like this. Someone tell me which one of those is a wolf. It's actually a trick question. Those are all sheep. There's not a wolf in there. Just wanted y'all to study it for a minute. So, but this is what they look like. They get really good at disguising themselves to where we can't tell the difference. We think, oh, there's a group of sheep. He's one of them. We, we, we don't think anything bad about them because they blend in so well. They're not a wolf carrying a sheep on their back hoping that the shepherd doesn't notice. They are able to package their heresies in neat little bows where we agree with 90% or more of what they are saying. We're nodding along. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. And then they throw something in that we're not ready for or we're not on alert for. Uh, one of the guys um, at the program house where I work, he's, uh, he's a self-professed agnostic, so some of the things he says are a little off color. So I can't say exactly what he said, but the other day he did something and I don't even remember what it was now because of this other part of the story. But I, my response was I gave him a high five. Again, couldn't tell you what it was. But I was like, yeah, all right. And he said one of his favorite things to do to make people uncomfortable was right before the contact is made for high five is to say something like super offensive so it looks like you're high fiving for that. It's like, hey, I hate kids. And you're like, whoa, no, I don't hate kids. Like we were high fiving for something else. Again, I can't use the example he used because it's off color. But that's what these people are doing. Right at the last second, right? They say something, you're like, whoa, whoa, hey. I don't know if I agree with that, but I agree with everything else you said today. So why wouldn't I agree with that? And then you just keep nodding along, right? Keep nodding along. Yes. Okay, well, you, yep. You said it. It must be true. This is what happens when these wolves come in in sheep's clothing and no one is there to notice or see that they are wolves and to remove them. They start out of the gate really strong. They say things like, don't you believe that God loves you? I absolutely believe God loves me. Thank you. Don't you believe he wants what is best for you? Yeah. Now, sometimes that may not look like what I think it's supposed to look like, but I do believe he wants what's best for me ultimately. Do you think that he has given you his very power to live in his blessings? Don't you believe that God wants you to have your best life now? Why would God, want to bless, why would God not want to bless you and give you a full and abundant life? See, they mix scripture in there, right? Full and abundant life is in there. It's not meaning exactly what they mean, but we're nodding along. Yeah, full and abundant life. If we would just place our trust in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. That's also in scripture. Again, not meaning exactly what they mean, but that's, it does say those words. So tell him you want to be debt-free, and you can be debt-free. Tell him you want to live above the poverty line, and watch God and change your socioeconomic status. Now we've completely derailed, right? But we've nodded along so long and then they ask, send your donations to www.afoolandhismoneyarequicklyseparated and we'll bless you. Watch. Just wait and see. I'll send you this prayer cloth or whatever it is, right? But we've nodded along at all these other things. Yeah, that is true. That is true. That is also true. So I guess that's true too. It's in the Bible. You see how quickly that spirals into something the Bible never, ever says. Never says that he wants to give us a full and abundant financial life, does it? Now, he may, but he may not. But some people, false teachers, would have you to believe that that is exactly what he means by that. Now, the prosperity gospel is the easiest one to attack. There are hundreds 
And I was actually going to dive deeper into a few of them. But again, I told you I had to cut things out. There are so many, though, where people just twist Scripture to say things that they don't. The prosperity gospel is probably the most common because it's the easiest. That People want to believe that. They want to believe that God wants to bless them. So it's an easy one to pass off on to people and to twist Scripture just like I just did to do those things. But these people, with any of these lies, with any of these fake gospels or untrue gospels, they dress nice, they smile a lot, they're very nice, they look like any other Christian brother and sister that you may have. They have their lives seemingly put together. You look at them and go, man, I wish my kids acted that good. Or you look at them and go, man, I wish my marriage was as good as theirs. Or, man, I wish I had that car. Or whatever it is, they seemingly are put together. And on the surface, they look the same as us. Or it may be even something we might want to aspire to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer explains it this way. Says there is someone standing by my side who looks just like a member of the church. He is a prophet and a preacher. He looks like a Christian. He talks and acts like a Christian. But dark powers are mysteriously at work. It was those who sent him into our midst. He may even be unconscious himself of what he is doing. The devil can give him every encouragement and at the same time keep him in the dark about his own motives. Now I sense some of you guys are looking around. Well, got a pretty small crowd in here got it narrowed down as to who it is but it could be anyone now I see the wheels turning am I telling you to be skeptical of Eric and, and myself as we preach the word on Sundays no but yes I don't ever want to get to the point where you just believe everything I say because I'm standing behind this little pulpit and I know Eric doesn't want that either we do want you to study what we are saying we do want you to look into what we are saying. We do want you to ask questions of us. Because you see, the thing is, when people are being true, good, good is a subjective word, but teachers that are trying to follow Jesus, we don't mind when you ask us because we didn't have any evil intentions in what we said. We weren't trying to lead you astray. Now, we may say things that you don't agree with. We may say things that you don't like, and that's fine. That's when we go back to Scripture and we say, but this is what the Bible says, whether I like it or not. Not, this is my opinion, whether you like it or not, because that is a completely different thing. So am I telling you that Eric and I are false prophets? Absolutely not. But I am telling you to constantly be aware of anyone, including us, who may fall on the slippery slope. Because i got to tell you, the people that you are thinking of as false prophets that you've probably seen on TV without naming any names, I bet they didn't start out thinking, I'm going to make $100 million dollars. They probably started out on a, on a pretty good road. I'm going to do this for God. And then things just kept coming in and it changed their trajectory just enough and now they're where they're at. No one is immune to that, including your pastors here at this church. So yes, be aware. Always be aware. Listen to what we say. Check it with Scripture. Ask us questions. We are okay with that. But false teachers will be earnest. They will be passionate. They won't really let you question them. And if they do, they kind of po politically answer a different question, right? They don't want you to question them because they may or may not know what they are doing to start with. But they don't, they don't want to have to explain themselves. I've heard a lot of people when they've been duped into doing things that they would never have done on their own, whether that's Christian or non, criminal or non, whatever. But a lot of explanations that he was just so passionate and convincing. Like, 
I just believed everything that he said. He just seemed so believable. I, could, I, I didn't know why I was doing these things. Um, the, Charles Manson was the best example of that. These people were like, I don't really know why I did those things, but he just seemed so passionate about what he was doing that I just went along with whatever he was saying. And these false teachers are going to be that. They're going to be very passionate, very earnest, very, very believable in what they are saying. And this is what we are dealing with. These people were sent into our midst by Satan and darkness himself to lead us astray. That is what Matthew tells us, right? The false teachers are coming to lead us astray. The Greek word here for ravenous, so it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The Greek word there for ravenous, has, it can also be used in other parts of Scripture for the word greedy. So they are coming in for greedy reasons. Now sometimes that may not be money. A lot of times it is. Most of the time it probably is. But you can be greedy for a lot of things. You can be greedy for money, for power, for a following, for fanfare, for celebrity. For, you can be greedy for a lot of those things. Now a lot of those things end up leading to money. But sometimes that's not even the end goal. Some of these people just want to cause trouble. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see a warning about false prophets as well. We don't have time to read it all, but 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10, it talks about how they come in with conceit. They're very, they're, they're very convinced of what they, they believe. They're very arrogant. They come in to cause trouble and to cause people to have dissension among one another. They, they have all of these things. Sometimes people are greedy for just that. They love drama. They want people to to argue back and forth and be like, ha ha, I, puppets, I did that. So that, that's sometimes what they're greedy for. But we know that they are coming in with ill intentions. And that's what we must be on the lookout for. So now we are fully warned about the danger of these individuals. What do we do? Is it hopeless to ever think we're going to detect them? Are, are they so well hidden that we would never be able to tell the difference? And, and on our own, I would say yes. But we know that God has given us the power of discernment. He's also given us an explanation of what to look for here. The rest of this passage answers the question of well, what do we do now that we are aware that this might happen. How are we, do we guard against it? It says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Once again, Jesus is contrasting two things. There is no middle ground here, right? There is no, well, I'm a, I'm a tree that believes but bears no fruit whatsoever. I'm just a fruitless tree. That, he doesn't leave that option, right? Now, at this point in the sermon, I was going to have more pictures, which I do not. I was going to show you all different parts of a tree. What kind of bark is this? What kind of leaves are these? What kind of root system is this? And then the last one, I was going to give you an orange tree with oranges on it, and you were going to go, oh, it's an orange tree. Not hard to figure out when you got the oranges on the branches. And that's what Jesus is saying. But remember, it's not the oranges that tell the tree what kind of tree it is. It is the seed and the rootedness of that tree that tells it what kind of fruit to grow. It does not work in reverse order. It is the root that determines the fruit, not the fruit that determines the root. Right? We have to remember that. We have to remember where we are rooted and what we are rooted in. The same thing is true here. We must be rooted in the gospel so much so that the fruits of all of our lives 
are determined by that gospel and they have no choice but to be Christ-like because of the root that we are in, because of where the seed was planted and that being the gospel. We can act like an orange tree or we can actually be an orange tree. We can act like a Christian or we can actually be one. We can be rooted in our own greedy gain, whatever that may be, or we can be rooted in the gospel and be, to God be the glory. Those are the two options. And again, Jesus is comparing two things. Now this phrase, you will know them by their fruits, there's actually been a lot of debate about it over hundreds of years of Christianity. Does it mean what they are teaching or what they are doing with their lives? And there are people that I would agree with almost everything that they say on both sides of this fence. Some people say, no, it, it is, it, you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by what they are preaching and teaching. Some people will know you examine their lives and see if that adds up, see if it matches. Okay, I'm not pretending to know exactly what Jesus thinks at all times. That, that's not my, my deal here. But I don't think that it's stretching Scripture at all to assume that he meant both. Or to assume, based on the whole of Scripture, if you take all of Scripture into account that he means both teaching and actions are two sides of the same coin I can get up here and teach all day long that Jesus is Savior and Lord but if I don't live like Jesus is Savior and Lord as we will see next week that doesn't get me anywhere in the end times just because I said some stuff or I can go out and be the biggest charity giver that has ever lived but not do it for Jesus and again that is getting me nowhere in the end times there it's two sides of the same coin I think we should be paying attention to both. The Bible is very clear that he who practices sin with no repentance and remorse cannot be a child of God. He cannot just go out and sin freely and do whatever he wants with, with no sign of repentance or with no sign of trying to change by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also see that you can't just go blatantly teach false gospels and not be held accountable for it either. So I think you will know them by their fruits. Is you, okay, is his teaching in line? Cool. Now let's see about his life. Or you meet someone, he hasn't taught you anything yet. Is his life in line? Cool. Let's see what he has to say. So I think we should absolutely be aware of both. Now these wolves are hidden, but they are detectable by these things. Jesus tells us here how to plainly detect them. So the first question is, and because we're going to dive a little more into the behavior aspect of it next week, is... What are they preaching? Are they preaching the gospel? Are these false teachers speaking of Jesus the right way, that he is the Savior and the only way? He is the narrow gate. He is the narrow path. He is the one that leads us to life. Martin Lloyd-Jones Lloyd says that it is usually not what they preach, but what they don't preach that will tip you off to this. See, false prophets... Avoid teaching on such things as holiness, justice, and wrath. A lot of you probably read books in here or listen to podcasts or go here, go there on the internet and read articles and things like that. This is going to be very important because it's not just your Sunday preacher that he is warning us about. It is anyone that will spread anything that is not true about Jesus. We must be aware or we will be duped into believing it. People have left churches all over America thousands upon thousands of times because of some something they read on the internet well I don't agree with your church anymore I gotta go because of some idiot that just you can post anything on the internet now I can go on there and start a podcast today I don't know how many people watch it but it'll be there and someone might stumble upon it and if I'm preaching lies it is going to lead people astray if they are not aware of this or prepared for this 
They avoid teaching on things such as holiness, justice, and wrath. They do not want to scare you away with talks of eternal punishment or a God who might love his own glory enough to create a hell or eternal punishment for those who don't love his glory the same way. Now, I've tried to be careful this morning. I don't think I've named a single name. You may have picked up on a few, but I don't think I've named a single name today. I had a whole different version of the sermon written where I named a bunch of names because I think there are people out there that need to know these names. I am not afraid to name these names. If you want to come to me afterward and talk about these people, hey, I listen to this guy or I read this guy or whatever, if I know them, I will gladly talk about them. I'm not afraid to name names because I don't think Jesus would have been afraid to name, hey, Paul, or, well, that's a bad example, but this guy over here is a false prophet, and I'm going to tell you he is a false prophet because I don't want you to follow him. But I did not want to... to get on a slippery slope of just speaking my opinions about people that one I do not know personally and two I just didn't want it to be about that there is a time and a place again if you have questions come talk to me or Eric afterward we will gladly speak of these things but a very popular Christian pastor wrote a wildly popular book a few years ago and part of it said this millions and millions of people were taught that God is going to send you to hell unless you believe in Jesus so what gets subtly taught is that Jesus rescues us from God. But what kind of God is this that we need to be rescued from him? How could that God ever be good? And how could that God ever be trusted? How could that ever be good news? You see, in recent years, many people have become more spiritual. I can't give you a definition of what they mean because it means a thousand different things to a thousand different people. And rightly directed, I think that is a great thing, okay? The problem is it doesn't get rightly directed. I think more and more people being willing to admit that there is something outside of themselves, a higher power as they call it, or a being, or, or a, some kind of force, I think that's the good starting point if we can just get them to realize that, that that is God. That is God who sent his son Jesus. Like there is no two ways about it. But these people, because they are just spiritual they want to believe in a God, but they, they want to believe in God that's all for them, that nothing but love, that would never create a hell for his, for his own glory. He would never do that. He would, as a matter of fact, he wouldn't even tell us that something we're doing is wrong. He loves us just the way that we are, whoever he is. And that is why this passage that I just read from this book has become so wildly popular, because people want to believe that. Of course God loves me, but he would never do this other thing. I don't need to be rescued from him. And that... That is why it becomes such a popular message today. I would say that that person is absolutely a wolf in sheep's clothing. Without naming his name, some of you, again, may know who it is, but he is absolutely a wolf in sheep's clothing, leading people to believe things that are not true about God. But that is why it is so important to tell the difference. Remember last week, there's only two destinations. There's life and destruction, and we are in dire straits if we are convinced we are on the narrow one and we are actually on the wide one. It's not going to end well. And that's what these false teachers are coming to do, is to convince you. You're on, the narrow path is a lot wider than Jesus made it seem. That's basically what they're saying. There's, a lot, there's more room on the narrow path for your way of life than what Jesus made it seem. And Jesus did not make it seem that way. He said that the narrow path is difficult. The narrow path does make you change things. But people want to twist the scripture and make you think you're on the narrow when you're really on the wide. 
False prophets want to avoid emphasizing the depravity of man. They want to act as if we are all pretty good. We all have good intentions towards others. We just need a little moral tweaking. You know, we don't have to change everything about ourselves. Just change a few small things and you'll be okay. False teachers will not emphasize the need of active obedience. People know they're sinners. Why do I have to keep telling them they're sinners? First of all, it's questionable whether people know that or not or are willing to admit that or not. But even still, we absolutely need to be reminded. Jesus was not afraid to do that. They, they will emphasize grace. They will emphasize that grace covers all sins, which I will stand here before you today and say that grace is enough to cover all sins. But they will say it in a way that says that it doesn't matter how you sin or how often you sin or whether you're even trying to change or whether you want to repent or whether you're trying to glorify God. Grace, 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 grace. And I don't see that in Scripture. I see grace is enough to cover all sins if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Him for salvation. So basically, false teachers will preach the exact opposite of this whole Sermon on the Mount. No obedience necessary. Jesus didn't say any of that. Made it very clear. There's no destruction path, the wide path. That doesn't even exist with false teachers most of the time. But the true prophet, and let me just say that that is not just me and Eric in this room. I'll explain that in a little while. But we should all be bearing fruit. We should all be pointing people back to Jesus. And that's what a prophet does, right? So a true prophet, a godly prophet, a Jesus-following prophet must never shy away from any of these things. Why? Because Jesus didn't. Jesus, literally two verses from where we started today, if you go up, he's talking about destruction. There's nothing pleasant about that. I love how people want to twist. Well, the fiery inferno doesn't really mean hell. It's an analogy. What is it an analogy of? Because it doesn't sound very pleasant. Like, that doesn't sound great fiery inferno but it's only an analogy oh well then it's not so bad then but Jesus did not shy away from these things he did not talk he did not shy away from talking about wrath God's wrath hell he talks about hell more than heaven as a matter of fact he is warning people this is where it ends if you do not follow me I am the narrow gate he did not shy away from punishment for sins or consequences of sins he didn't shy away from talking about everyone is a sinner and we cannot either. He boldly proclaimed that we are all, every one of us, in need of a Savior. And that that Savior is Him. He is that Savior from sin. The gospel is what saves. We cannot consider ourselves true believers if we do not believe that. We cannot consider ourselves true disciples if we are not discipling people to believe that. And we cannot consider someone a true prophet or a true teacher if they are not proclaiming this whole entire gospel. Galatians 1, 8 and 9 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. So two verses in a row, he says basically the same thing. It's probably important. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed. It is the gospel we must be rooted in. We must be rooted in this truth. Or one, we will not recognize false teachers. And then, even worse, we will become false teachers. We must be rooted in the fact that God is an almighty God. He is an all-knowing God. He created us and that he created everything we see around us to better glorify him, including us. However, every person who has ever lived, including those in this room, and especially the one standing before you today, has made a mockery of that glory. He, he has said, or we have said, 
God, I know I'm here. I know I'm created for your glory, but I do not care. I want my glory. I want my way. I want it to be this way and not your way. And we have made a mockery of his glory. This God is just righteous and holy, and he cannot allow his glory to be belittled in any way. So he promises that sins will be punished. There is wrath for sins, and it will come to those who deserve it. But because God keeps his promises, he is not able to spare wrath. He cannot just say wrath is coming and then not deliver wrath in some way, shape, or form, or then he ceases to be God. His answer to that is sending his own son, Jesus, in the flesh to be God and man all in one, to live a perfect life that we could not live, and to die upon a cross, giving him glory and saving the ones that spit in his face and made a mockery of that glory. He pours out this promised wrath, again, he cannot break that promise, upon Jesus instead of those who truly deserve it. Three days later, God raised Christ from the dead, verifying his sacrifice was sufficient for all, that his sacrifice satisfied that divine deserved wrath of an almighty God if we place our faith and trust in the one that he punished in our place. And because of that death and resurrection, you and I and all who believe in him can now have a restored relationship with the Father. Because of that sacrifice, we can now be reconciled to the one that we willingly, we willingly separated from and had no way of reconciling ourselves back to. But because of Jesus, we can have right standing with God. But solely based on his perfect life and his substitutionary death in our place, we have the promise of eternal life and it is extended to us courtesy of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That is the gospel, and that is very good news. This is what the church must be rooted in. And it doesn't, I don't mean mission church. The church. This is what we must be rooted in. This church must firmly believe in this gospel, and that that gospel is enough to save and change lives. Or we will never thrive. We will never be glorifying God. We will be ourselves wolves in sheep's clothing. We must proclaim this message knowing that it can and will save people. You see, we all bear fruit. Even the disease tree bears fruit, right? It's just bad fruit. There is no middle ground, once again. He's only given us the two options. Either you're a good tree with good fruit, you're a disease tree with disease fruit. And we must, as a church and as individuals, be producing the good fruit. We cannot be rooted in something that is diseased and untrue and expect our fruit to come out all pretty and ready to eat. We must be rooted in the gospel. We should all be pointing people back to Jesus. We should all be preaching this gospel. We say all the time at Mission Church, every Christian is what? Every Christian is a missionary. Well, I contend to you today that every Christian is, should also be a prophet because the goal of a prophet the role of a prophet is to point people back to Jesus. And if we are not called to do that, then I don't think we are called to do anything in Scripture. I think that is our first and foremost responsibility after we come to believe in Christ, after He has saved us, is to bring as many people with us as we can. Knowing that the only way to get them to come with us is to preach this gospel. We can't just drag them by their arm. When Nora's running off, what do I do? I just grab her by the arm, take her this way. We can't do that with, with people lead them on the narrow path. It must be the gospel. We must be rooted in this gospel so that the fruit we bear is good fruit. Our lives will still be sinful. So even if it is talking about 
we all, that we will know them by their fruits, and it is about their life. Yes, we will be sinful, but what is the intention of their heart? Is the intention of their heart, is the trajectory of their lives, is the theme of their lives sin, or is the theme of their lives, I'm trying to glorify God, and I am just a weak person, and I need God's help every single day to do it. This is why we have one sermon here. We joke about that all the time. It's because it is the gospel is what saves. Jesus is the true and better prophet here. He's warning people about false prophets, and he's simultaneously saying, but I am the true, best, perfect prophet. Not only am I proclaiming everything that I need to proclaim, but watch me, and I'll live it out perfectly as well. That is who we are to be as much like as we can, pointing people to him, but living it out as well. We will know them by their fruits. Jesus had both of those covered, both sides of that debate covered. So we must point people to him. Here today, tomorrow, and every day of our lives, it is all, all, all about Jesus. And anyone, including myself and Pastor Eric, who comes to you and says that it is about anything else, is a ravenous wolf who must be removed from the sheep. Anyone that says anything else that it is not all about Jesus is a false prophet. This gospel, the one I have just spoken must be what we are rooted in. We must be rooted in the gospel. Let us pray. Father, I come to you this morning knowing that I am but a sinful man. I, I don't say everything the way you would have me to say it. I don't do everything the way you would have me to do it. But thank you for saving me anyway. Thank you for loving me anyway, for seeing fit to have me here today to preach this message. And I pray that everything that I have said here this morning glorifies you, that it points people back to you and not to myself, that you get all the credit and glory and not myself. And I pray for everyone in this room that as we go from this place, that we would understand that we are to be prophets in this world, pointing people back to the true and better prophet, pointing people back to Jesus, saying, come to Jesus to be saved. There is wrath to come, but you can avoid it. Jesus can save you, and I pray that we are preaching the gospel to do that, that we are rooted in the gospel as mission church, but also as individuals in this room as we leave this place and any church that we may ever represent, that we would go rooted in the gospel so that our fruit comes out good, undiseased fruit that better glorifies you. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.